On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we'll be talking about Tom Brady's return to New England as the Patriots take on the Buccaneers on Sunday night. So we'll take a look at some keys to the game for the Patriots, how the game might go. We'll also take a look at some thoughts uh, floating around about Tom Brady this week based on the uh, book written by Seth Wickersham. We'll also uh, get into talking about last night's game between the Bengals and the Jags that went down to the wire. So we'll talk about that. Take a look at some of the other games in week four, as well as taking a look at some news and notes from around the NFL. Then we will get to the Red Sox as they are down to their final series of the regular season, and they still have a lot of work to do if they're going to make the playoffs. So we'll get into that. We'll also take a look at um, the Red Sox season as a whole and whether, you know, we really need to classify this season as a disappointment, depending on what happens. We'll also take a look at some. Uh, playoff previews that uh, or playoff series that have been set for Major League Baseball. So we'll take a quick look at some of those series um, and wild card games. Wild card game in the National League is set, so we'll take a look at that as well. We'll also take a look at some uh, news and tidbits from around Major League Baseball as the final weekend of the regular season is upon us. We will then get to the NHL and talk about the Bruins. They've played a couple of preseason games, so we'll get into some things that I've noticed through the first three games there. About halfway through, we'll take a look at some players that have impressed, including Jake DeBrusque. We'll talk about how his season is going to be very important for the team's success. I will also take a look at some expectations for the Bruins this season as they approach uh, the regular season and a lot of uh, questions that still are, are unanswered at the moment. We'll also take a look at some news and notes from around the NHL, and then we will get to the NBA talk a bit about the Celtics, talk about Marcus Smart and his new role. We'll take a look at Al Horford's return. Uh, we will also take a look at the Celtics uh, opening their preseason on Monday night against the Orlando Magic, and we'll also take a look at some notes from around the NBA. And then we will get to the Revolution. They continue to be red hot. They're on a, uh, a break for the next two weeks or so, um, so they are uh, firmly in charge of first place in the Eastern Conference, so we'll take a look at that. We'll also give you an update on the WNBA playoffs, and we'll take a look at college football week five. Let's go. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Hayden, and today it's going to be another big one. Got a lot to get to today, a lot lot about the Patriots, of course. You know, Tom Brady's uh, return on Sunday, it's going to be uh, definitely an emotional game for, for, for a lot of us. So, you know, looking forward to getting into that, taking a look at, you know, what the Patriots might be able to do. Yeah, it's going to be a challenge. It's definitely going to be a challenge. So 
you know, get into all that, get into all the, the stuff with the Red Sox. You know, Bruins are starting, you know, their preseason pretty well. Uh, Celtics will be playing preseason games next week. So uh, it's an exciting time. It's an exciting time to be uh, to be a sports fan, you know, just in general, but, you know, also New England. So looking forward to getting into all of that today. So uh, as always, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, you can listen on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. And uh, if you guys would like, you can go read my uh, written content at Garrett Hayden Sports Media. I put up a new article yesterday um, about the Celtics, so we might uh, mention that a little bit today. Um, but if you haven't already, be would love it if you guys went and checked it out and let me know. Um, you can also leave a uh, rating and review on uh, Apple Podcasts. That would be uh, greatly appreciated if you guys did that as well. And, you know, obviously follow on Spotify, follow on Apple Podcasts, whatever, whatever, whatever you have to do there. Follow the Twitter page, follow the Facebook page. Um, but let's just get into it. Let's get right into it. Patriots, Bucks, Sunday night, obviously the game that most NFL fans uh, circled on their calendar uh, when the schedule came out in, um, I think it was April. I think it, the schedule comes out at some point in the spring. But anyway, you know, everyone circling this game on the calendar that, okay, you know, you figured that AFC East was playing NFC South this season, and you're figuring, okay, when are the Buccaneers going to play the Patriots? And um, I think a lot of us actually maybe thought that they would uh, play, possibly play each other week one. Um, obviously, that was not the case, playing each other this week, week four. And it's, you know, unfortunately comes at kind of a critical time for the Patriots, which is, you know, kind of the unfortunate part about the scheduling of this game, that it comes in, you know, at the end of beginning, end of a month, whatever you want to say, that, you know, has kind of been up and down for the Patriots. And, you know, closing out the first four games against a team like Tampa Bay, you know, is not really the best opponent that the Patriots could ask for, you know, going into week four. So uh, before we get into talking about the game, um, I think that there's plenty out there about Brady and, you know, Belichick and all that stuff. You know, I said to myself, I wasn't going to talk about it last week because it didn't make sense to talk about it last week. It was, you know, inappropriate. The Patriots had a game against the New Orleans Saints on Sunday and you had people talking about the Brady return and it's just like, I get it. I, I understand it. I, I understand where a lot of fans are coming from, you know, with the, the fact that, you know, Tom left the team, and I think that it's it's hard for a lot of people, and I'll be honest, it, it's challenging for me too, but I think at the same time, you have to recognize that this is sports, and, you know, people move on, you know, players are not going to play for the same team their entire career, and I think, you know, it just kind of leads into a, a bigger, a bigger issue, you know, being it that I feel like we we live in a in a town in the sports culture that you know there always needs to be someone to blame and I think that unfortunately this has gotten in the way from you know us appreciating really fully appreciating what you know Tom Brady did for this team and what you know he means to this franchise what Bill Belichick means to this franchise and I think that unfortunately we're getting away from all that because 
we want to paint Bill Belichick as a scapegoat, or that's at least what a lot of people, it seems like, are doing. And I think if you're listening to and you're hearing all the things that are being said, you have to consider people that have an agenda. And obviously Alex Guerrero and Tom Sr. have an agenda that they are going to say and do whatever it takes to make Tom not look like the bad guy. Not to say that anyone's the bad guy in this situation, but I think that there are too many people that are ready to paint someone as a bad guy, paint someone as a scapegoat for, you know, why Tom Brady left. And I said it last week, you know, I don't think there's any crazy fantastical story that, you know, Brady said, oh, you know, screw you, you're not going to help me, you know, win another championship, I'm going to go somewhere else and spite you. And I think that that's a story that a lot of people want to believe, but I don't think that that's true. And I think that a lot of people want to buy into something like that because they need some outside reason to be like, oh, this is why Tom Brady left, so I can, you know, feel better about myself. And I know that that might not be a popular thing to say, but I just think that it's just unfortunate that it's come down to that. And, you know, it's... It's just it's it, it's just it just can be challenging that I think that people tend to just kind of believe what they want to believe that they have a story in their own head about something that happened and they want to believe something and do we do or do we know really the full reason do we really know you know what really happened no and chances are we're probably never going to know you know but I will just say one thing about this Wickersham book and. You know, it's something that should be pretty obvious to a lot of people that it should tell you everything that Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, Robert Kraft all declined to be interviewed or declined to comment on this book. And I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, it's, I don't want to say bad journalism because I'm not trying to say that, but I think that you, when, when you are hearing some of the things from this book, you have to consider that a lot of these stories are coming from sources that are very difficult to corroborate, that I think that there are some stories in there that I think might be exaggerated a little bit. And I also think that, you know, it's, again, it's hard to, it's hard to take the word of sources that are not the actual source that, you know, a source told this person so this and it's just like it goes to like, you know, what you read around trade deadlines for, you know, baseball, basketball, hockey, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, oftentimes there are rumors that are really kind of unfounded. And so I just think it's hard to take anything that has been said in this book as, you know, this is the absolute truth. Um, but I just think, again, it gets away from the fact that for some reason it's impossible for us to appreciate you know, what Brady and Belichick did together, but now it's morphed into, you know, oh, Belichick's a bad coach. He's nothing without Brady and this and that. And it's just like, I, I like, I don't, I don't know where that comes from. And it honestly is exhausting, you know, to listen to things like that, where people constantly have to, you know, come up with these stories and then talk about them like they're facts. And it's just, it can just be really frustrating. So, you know, I don't really think that there's any grand story about why Tom left. I mean, I think a lot of the stuff that we've heard, you know, that 
Tom kind of recognized that, okay, Tampa Bay's got a, a good group of offensive players and it, you know, may have been a better place for him to play. And I think that we should recognize that, you know, I think that there are some people that want to believe that Bill pushed him out, you know, and I don't know, maybe part of that's true. Maybe it's not, but I think it's just, there are some people taking this a little bit too extreme. And I also think the Patriots are in pretty good shape. You know, they've found a young quarterback who, you know, may not be playing unbelievable right away. By the way, if you expected that, I think you're crazy. But look, Tom Brady left and it's in the past. And I think that, yes, it's natural to talk about, you know, why he left and talking all about Tom, you know, the week before you're going to play the Buccaneers. And I understand that. Um, But I just think there are people that are getting upset about this and I think need to move past it and recognize that, okay, Tom Brady is not on this team anymore, you know, and I'm sorry, this was going to happen sooner or later that Tom was not going to be on the team, you know, whether he goes to another team or he retires here, you know, it was going to happen at some point. And I think that you kind of need to turn the page at a certain point. And the Patriots have a good young rookie quarterback who I think gets it and I think is going to develop into a solid NFL starter. And sure, there are going to be some growing pains, and we've seen that through the first three games, but they're in good hands. And I just think it's a lot of people getting upset that Tom's not not here anymore, but you have a pretty good quarterback situation that I think you have figured out. And look, the Patriots tried it with Cam Newton last year. I think it was worth the risk. You know, it didn't pay off, obviously, but you now have a young quarterback that I think understands it and gets it, and I think we'll figure it out at some point. So um, that's really all I'm going to say about the Brady-Belichick thing. Um, You know, if people don't like what I'm saying, well, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not really going to apologize for it. That's just kind of my opinion, and um. Sure, it's going to be emotional to see, you know, Tom Brady in a different uniform playing at Gillette. And yeah, you know, I think it's going to be emotional for everyone. But I think at the same time, you have to understand that there's a football game to be played. And, you know, you have to focus on beating him. You know, that's that's the focus here. You know, it's not focusing on what happened a year and a half ago. You know, it's focusing on what you have to do to try to beat this Buccaneers team, which is going to be a tall order. But, you know, that's why you play the game. You go out and play. So um, I think taking a look at this game, um, it's going to be a challenge, obviously, defensively. I think that um, Tom Brady is a guy who's been around the league for so long. He knows opposing defenses very well. He's seen all the schemes. He's seen all the defenses that, you know, coaches have tried to throw at him. Um, and you know, to make matters worse, he's practiced against Bill Belichick defenses in practice for almost 20 years. So, you know, I don't think that there's really anything the Patriots can do defensively to surprise Tom Brady that, oh, they're going to, you know, pull out some crazy defensive scheme that he's never seen before. You know, they're not going to do anything crazy. I don't think they're going to be blitzing constantly because he'll, you know, we all know that Tom Brady can pick apart a defense that blitzes too often that he can pick the open guy. So, I mean, I think really the biggest thing is for the Patriots trying to focus on the the biggest offensive threat in this game. And, and you know, 
which threat, but which threat is the biggest one. I think, you know, Mike Evans probably is that top receiver and probably will see a lot of matchups against J.C. Jackson. But, you know, the problem with that Buccaneers offense is they have four guys that, you know, can beat you one-on-one no matter who's defending them. You know, you think about Gronk, Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, and Mike Evans. You know, it's an offense that's uh, almost impossible to stop. But I thought the Rams, you know, played a really good defensive game last week. Don't know if the Patriots can take a page out of their book. Um because the Patriots certainly do not have an Aaron Donald type on that defensive line. So I think it's obviously going to be on the D-line to try to, you know, get in the backfield and knock down Tom Brady, which is easier said than done. But I think, you know, their offensive line, Tampa Bay's offensive line, can sometimes have bad games. And so I think if the Patriots can try to take advantage of that, you know, maybe they can slow down Brady. But I think it's going to be easier said than done with that defense. But I think it's on the offensive side of the ball that the Patriots could make this a game. Um, Tampa Bay's defense has been pretty suspect uh, for most of the year, and they're very shorthanded in the secondary. Um, Obviously, they still have an outstanding front seven. They have like four guys that are just absolute terrors to play against in JPP, Devin White, um, Levante David and Shaq Mason or uh, Shaq Barrett. Um, so I think it's really going to be up to the Patriots in, you know, getting those matchups downfield. You know, who's going to be that pass catching running back? Obviously, James White getting hurt and is out for the season, you know, is a huge, devastating blow to this offense. Um, so I think that that's going to be interesting to see who, you know, picks up the slack there. But I do think that there is a good possibility that Mac Jones could have another strong game. Um, But that offensive line needs to be better. You know, if that offensive line plays like it did against the Saints, the Patriots are going to get blown out and it's not going to be pretty. You know, it wasn't, you know, it could have been worse against the Saints, to be perfectly honest. It wasn't as bad, but it's going to be way worse if the offensive line, you know, can't perform well. Uh, We'll see if Trent Brown can be healthy. I think he's a huge key to this game. Um, the problem with the Patriots is they're probably going to be passing the ball 30 or 40 times because Tampa Bay's defense, they do not allow a lot of rushing yards. So this is probably going to be a challenging game to get anything um, on the ground. So I really think that this game is a measuring stick game for the Patriots. And it's a game that I think will realistically show us what type of team this, this team is. Uh, it's not really been pretty the first three games. They've had a lot of um, a lot of issues on offense, especially. And so I think how the Patriots perform in this game offensively really is going to determine what type of team they're going to be the rest of the season. Now, going into this game, I'm not expecting them to win. You know, as a matter of fact, I don't really expect that this is going to be a close game. But I do think the Patriots tend to you know, do better than people think um, going into games against teams that are much better than them. You know, I think you think about some of the talented teams that they played against even last year, you know, getting wins against Baltimore and a high-powered offense like Arizona. Um, They are capable of playing a good, solid defensive game, but obviously it's going to be a lot more challenging against this Tampa Bay team. Um, Tampa Bay favored by seven, I believe, in this game. 
Um, and that seems about right. You know, I'd expect that they probably beat the Patriots by a touchdown or 10 points. Um, but I do think the Patriots, if that they if they can find a rhythm with the passing game, they might be able to make this game a little more interesting. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's just, it's very hard to beat Tom Brady. Everyone else in the NFL is uh, knows how, how challenging that can be. So it's, it's going to be a tall task for the Patriots. I really don't see a scenario in which they win, but you never know. Um, but I will just say it's, you know, the first four games for the Patriots typically are games where they're trying to test things out and figure things out that, you know, the Patriots often treat these first couple games of the season, not as preseason games necessarily, but kind of as games that are going to be used to determine what type of team they're going to have going forward. Um, and so I think dropping to one and three certainly is not going to be ideal, you know, assuming that that's what happens. But I think that the Patriots will be able to find a rhythm, you know, with their offense. And they're guys that I think are showing signs of improvement. You know, you saw Kendrick Bourne had an outstanding game against the Saints on Sunday. Hunter Henry, you know, had five catches on six targets. Um, so I think that you're seeing some of the offseason acquisitions kind of getting into a groove. Um, it was unfortunate to see Johnny Smith having a tough game on Sunday, but he'll bounce back. Um, you're seeing Matt Judon on the defense is having a great start to his season. So um, he's going to be a huge key player in this game. I think if the Patriots can get any type of pressure on Brady, if they can force some turnovers, then they have a possibility to pop, to be in this game um, and not, you know, get embarrassed like 38 to 17. Um, I think personally, this game most likely is going to be like 30 to 20, 31 to 21, something like that. Um, I just don't see the Patriots being able to score enough offensively to win this game, you know, and I think just based on how shaky the offensive line has been, it's hard for Mac Jones to get the time to throw. And granted, it's not all on the offensive line. I think that Mac Jones certainly has, you know, made some mistakes. I think that unfortunately there are people that are a little bit more sensitive when they're talking about Mac Jones and people thinking that, oh, it's just the offensive line. Well, no, Mac Jones has made some mistakes. I think that, you know, he needs to do a better job of getting the ball out a little quicker and recognizing when, you know, there are guys in his face and when he needs to get rid of the ball. Um, but obviously, offensive line needs to give him time to throw. So I think it's kind of a, a two-way street on that, that I think both Mac Jones and the line obviously need to improve you know, if they're going to be a successful team this year. Um, so I think not expecting a Patriots win, I think it's hard to expect them to win in this game, but um, I still think it will be an interesting game and obviously a big emotional return for, for uh, Tom Brady. So uh, with that being said, we'll look at Thursday night game last night. The uh, Jaguars and the Bengals went down to the wire in Cincinnati uh, Jags built a 14 to nothing halftime lead. Bengals tie it with two touchdowns in the third and then win it on an Evan McPherson field goal. So uh, the Bengals are 24 or are three and one after a big win against the Steelers on Sunday. And uh, I will just say, I think the Bengals are coming together a lot faster than I think we thought. Um, you have an offense with Joe Burrow, who seemingly has picked up right where he left off before he got hurt last year. 
um, and you have a really out, good outstanding group or good group of really outstanding offensive players. You know, you think about Joe Mixon in the backfield, uh, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, um, and Jamar Chase, who had a good game last night. You know, I think that you have the makings of a really good offense and an underrated defense that, you know, yes, beating Jacksonville is not something to really be super proud of, but, you know, a win against the Steelers is a win against the Steelers. So uh, the Bengals improved to 3-1 and one with this game. Joe Burrow was really good in this game. You know, I think really did not make any really didn't make any big mistakes in this game. 25 of 32 for 348 yards. Um, so he had a really solid game, two touchdown passes. Um, and I don't think Trevor Lawrence was bad either. You know, I don't think, obviously didn't have a touchdown pass, but 17 to 24 for 204 yards, did have a rushing touchdown. Uh, James Robinson had a couple touchdowns for Jacksonville. So um, going into this game, you know, it was a pretty interesting, close game. You know, two teams that, I don't think are expected to do anything. You know, Jacksonville obviously has lost their first four games, but I thought it was, you know, a, a solid game by them. I thought that Trevor Lawrence played pretty well, and I think, you know, obviously there are things to improve on for um, a team like Jacksonville. You know, there's really nowhere to go but up with them. Um, but it just was an interesting look taking it to, taking a look at the last two number one overall picks. Um, so, Good win for the Jag or for the Bengals, down fourteen nothing at half. Come back to win twenty four to twenty one. So now we will take a look at the games for the from the, for the rest of Week Four. Obviously, we talked about the Patriots and Bucks. Uh, Washington against Atlanta will be facing off at one o'clock in Atlanta. Both teams are one and two. Obviously, Taylor Heineke still the starting quarterback for the. For Washington and then Matt Ryan um, for Atlanta. You know, I think this is going to be a close game. Um, I think that I like Atlanta at home. Um, I think that they will bounce back at a decent match or had a decent showing against the um, Buccaneers in week two um, and then were able to beat the Giants last week in a good defensive battle. So I think Atlanta might be turning the page defensively. Um, but I think they win at, at home this week. Buffalo and Houston. Houston coming off that Thursday night loss against Carolina last week. And then the Bills, um, after losing their opener against the Steelers and did not look good in that game, they've won two in a row. Josh Allen is starting to play like the quarterback that we all expect. Um, Davis Mills will go for the Texans. I think the Bills win this one fairly easily at home. As I think that they will improve to three and one. Detroit and Chicago, uh, Jared Goff against Justin Fields, the new starter for the Bears. The Bears um, starting Fields last week had a pretty tough game. Uh, Lions are not off to a good start, zero and three. But offensively, you know you have a couple of guys who are pretty solid performers in Swift and Hawkinson. Uh, Hawkinson did not have a good game against Baltimore, but the Lions, you know, played. A good, close affair against the Ravens. You know, unfortunately lost on the uh, 66-yard field goal by Justin Tucker. So that was a really bad, a tough way for the Lions to lose their third straight game. So they lose to um, the Ravens last week. So they'll play the Bears in Chicago 
Um, I like Detroit to pick up their first win. I think that defensively they have a good showing. Um, and I think Justin Fields, unfortunately, has another tough game um, in Chicago. Carolina and Dallas, I think this is going to be an interesting game. Uh, both teams playing very well. Panthers are 3-0, and unfortunately losing uh, Christian McCaffrey last week to a hamstring injury. So um, he will not be playing in this game, probably won't be playing for a couple more games. And then the Cowboys at 2-1 and coming off a dominant win over the Eagles on Monday Night Football. So um, I think this will be a good, close game, but I think Dallas uh, takes it on the road. The Dolphins and the Colts. The Dolphins at 1-2, and two, and the Colts have yet to win a game. They've probably been uh, the most disappointing team in the league so far. Um, go down to Miami, it will be a challenge. Tua Tagovailoa is still dealing with the rib injury, unsure whether he'll play on Sunday. I like the Colts to get their first win of the season in Miami. Uh, Cleveland traveling to Minnesota. Minnesota at 1-2 and two has played a a number of very close games. They got their win, first win last week. The Browns are 2-1, and one, had a good win against Chicago with a good defensive performance last week. So I think the Browns um, make it three wins in four games to start the season. I think that they beat Minnesota, who was without Dalvin Cook last week, unclear whether he'll play this week. The Giants travel to New Orleans to play the Saints. Saints playing their first home game of the season. The Giants coming in at 0-3, and the Saints obviously coming off a, a pretty impressive win against the Patriots last week. Um, the Titans and the Jets, the Titans uh, looking for some more consistency to start the season. They have won two, they have won two of their first three. Um, they get a matchup against the Jets that should give them a record at 3-1, and so I do like the Titans in that one. Um, and then kind of the marquee game at 1 o'clock, you have the Eagles and the Chiefs, both teams at 1-2, and two, the Chiefs uh, losing again, to, or losing a game late, lost to the Chargers last week, and then the Eagles obviously got blasted by the Cowboys on Monday Night Football, so uh, both teams will definitely come in motivated. I would expect that there's a lot of points um, in this game between the Chiefs and the Eagles, but I do like the Chiefs in this one. Uh, Rams and the Cardinals will play. Both teams at 3-0 battling for first in that NFC West. Um, I just love the way the Rams have played this season, so I do like them to continue their winning ways at home. And then the other NFC West matchup, the Seahawks and the 49ers. Seahawks at 1-2, and 49ers at 2-1. and You have teams kind of go in the opposite direction. Um, at the moment, I think that this game could see a lot of points as well, um, but I do like the 49ers at home in this one. Uh, Baltimore and Denver. Baltimore going into Denver, a very tough place to play. Um, Denver's quietly been one of the best stories in the league so far, um, as they are three and zero wins against the Giants, Jets, and Jags. Obviously, you know not the best, not the best teams to play against, or not the uh, most difficult teams to play against. They'll welcome the Ravens uh, to Mile High. I think the Ravens win, but I think this is going to be another close game and another uh, challenge for them. Um, and then the late game on CBS, the Steelers travel to Green Bay to take on the Packers. Uh, Steelers have um, kind of disappointed their first couple weeks. You know, had a good good win against the bank, against the uh, Bills week one, and then kind of came back down to earth with a tough loss last week against Cincinnati. So they are one and two. Green Bay seems to kind of, seems to have been getting their uh, rhythm back on offense 
Um, so I expect that to continue. I think Green Bay dominates Pittsburgh um, in this game. And then the Monday night game, this is going to be a fun game. Uh, the Raiders against the Chargers. Chargers coming off a win against the Chiefs. And then the Raiders, obviously undefeated through their first three games. They've been a great story. So I think it's going to be another really, really fun game um, in, the NFC, in the AFC West. Uh, but I do like Las Vegas to win that one on the road. Um, so just some notes from around the league. Um, the Jags obviously losing their 19th straight game last night. Um, they did lose DJ Chark in the first quarter to an ankle injury. Um, so it did look pretty ugly. So I'm not sure if he will have a timetable to return anytime soon. Uh, LaShawn McCoy announced his retirement the other day. Uh, after signing a one-day contract with the Eagles, uh, the Buccaneers will activate Antonio Brown off the COVID list, um, or did yesterday, so he will be available to play against the Patriots on Sunday. Um, and then there was an announcement about the uh, Super Bowl halftime show in Los Angeles, headlined by Dr. Dre, Eminem, and Snoop Dogg. So that will be uh, pretty interesting to pay attention to the Super Bowl, obviously, at uh, SoFi Stadium in Inglewood on February 13th. So I think that that probably, probably does it for uh, for football. We'll move on to talk about the uh, poor Red Sox, who are uh, not in a great spot as we head into the final weekend of the season. Um, the Red Sox, you know, when we last spoke, you know, had won seven straight games and appeared to be in pretty good standing in the wild card. And, um, you know, they welcomed the Yankees to Fenway and proceed to get swept by the Yankees, really didn't look good in any games. Uh, the bullpen had a really tough time in uh, Saturday's loss and then Sunday's loss. Um, Nathan Navaldi got knocked around on Friday night, so the Red Sox lose all three to the Yankees um, and then proceed to lose two out of three in Baltimore, which uh, was really tough to watch. The Red Sox, you know, seemingly just going quiet offensively with um, just four runs scored in their last the four runs scored in the three-game set in Baltimore. So uh, things are not looking good for the Red Sox. I mean, we'll take a look at the wild card standings in a moment. But the uh, offense really uh, disappearing, unfortunately. And you know, there was – they do have a record in which I think it's something like – they it's something like 79-8 and eight this season when they score four or more – four or more runs or five or more runs. It's something crazy. You know, and then their record is very poor when they score fewer than four runs. And, you know, obviously, if you take a look at some of the scores the last couple of the last couple of games, taking a look at the Yankees and Baltimore series, the Red Sox, you know, were unable to score, have been unable to score four runs in, um, you know, every game, all the Yankee games and then all the uh, Oriole games. Um, except for obviously Wednesday night when they did win um, and scored six runs. But every other game, you know, they've been unable to score more than three runs. And it just is getting to a point where, you know, the offense really was supposed to be a strength of the team that, you know, the offense was not going to be something that you were going to be concerned about. Um, and they've they've disappeared. And it's just not not a good time for it. You know, obviously, as the season is winding down and the Red Sox are, are tied with Seattle for that second wild card spot. So, you know, we'll take a look at the standings more closely in a little bit, but, you know, taking a look at 
where they stand. The Red Sox really can't afford to lose any games in Washington this weekend. Um, the series will start against the Nationals tonight in D.C. at 7.05. Um, but the Red Sox really can't afford to lose any games. You know, I think it's... Uh, you went into this road trip knowing that you kind of had to win at least four games. And, you know, lo and behold, they go to Baltimore and they only can win one. So, you know, it's not looking good for this team. You know, it's it's unfortunate because I think that they had a lot of people excited at various points this season, you know, leading the American League East at the end of the end of the first half of the season, you know, going into the All-Star break. Um, and then things just really started to come apart in July and August. And the Red Sox have had to fight for their lives for the past month. And, you know, the, the COVID breakout obviously didn't help with the Red Sox having to call up a bunch of guys who really were not supposed to see Fenway at all this season. And the Red Sox had to, you know, scramble and get back to get back to normal, you know, helped getting Chris Sale back. But, you know, it seems like the energy the Red Sox had going into that Yankee series last weekend has disappeared and the Red Sox have lost five of six, you know, and are dangerously close to missing the playoffs. So um, it's certainly not the best time for the offense to, to go quiet. You know, can they pick it up? Absolutely. You know, you've seen this offense be able to put together a lot of offensive explosions. You know, you've seen a bunch of guys like Hunter Renfro, J.D. Martinez, um, Rafael Devers, you know, have big offensive seasons, but, you know, none of that matters until you can get it done when it matters, and that's this weekend in the Red Sox, you know, playing a Washington team. I mean, thank goodness playing a Washington team that's not very good, that's kind of checked out for the rest of the season, but you kind of thought that that was going to be the case with Baltimore, and they take two out of three from you. So, you know, it's 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 just like you never know. But I think that the team needs to recognize that, okay, you have to play with some urgency um, this weekend because it really just was listless in, you know, two of the three games in Baltimore where, you know, Chris Sale could not hold on to a lead and, you know, you're giving up big home runs at, at inopportune times. So it's just, um, I would, I would stop short of calling it, you know, a meltdown. You know, if you look at maybe their win loss record in September, but you know, it's just, uh, it's unfortunate that, you know, the Red Sox have gotten to a point where it's hard to rely on that bullpen. And, you know, you now have an offense that's going cold at quite possibly the, the worst possible time. So, um, Obviously, it needs to change this weekend. The Red Sox really cannot afford to, you know, lose this weekend. They really kind of need to win all three games in Washington, you know, to even give themselves a chance to uh, play in a play-in game or the wild card game. You know, now, now if you look at the standings, um, you know, they, they are even with uh, Seattle. I keep getting ahead of myself taking a look at the standings, but... You know, they're even with Seattle, and so the Red Sox, you know, could be in store to possibly have to play, you know, a tiebreaker game before the wild card game. You know, if the Red Sox and Seattle, you know, finish the season with the same record, then I believe, well, actually, I believe the Red Sox do hold tiebreakers, so they may not have to go to an extra game, you know, if they finish with the same record. Um, I think that that might be the case, or if it's not you know, then obviously they'll have to play an extra game in Seattle or in Toronto, you know, whoever, whatever team, you know, ends up tied with them, if that does be, if that does end up being the case, 
Um, but I think kind of switching gears a little bit with the Red Sox um, is to talk about the season as a whole. And I know that it's probably an unpopular thing to talk about, you know, when you think about where the Red Sox are right now, you know, battling for a playoff spot and, you know, struggling at a really key time and struggling in the month of September and, you know, seeming like they were almost certainly going to be a playoff team about a month or so ago. And, you know, you look at where they are now and it's really, you know, not a good spot. Um, So, you know, I think just thinking about the season and thinking about where it started and, you know, the Red Sox coming into the season, not really expected to do anything, you know, expected to probably be a fourth place team in the AL East. And, you know, then those, you know, thoughts were really expedited when they dropped the first three games of the season to Baltimore and people are like, oh, it's going to be another long season. So, um, I think that it's it's very difficult to talk about this right now, but I think you do have to credit the team for how well they've played this year. You know, I know that it's not popular because they're not playing well right now and they haven't played well really since the end of the All-Star break, but I think thinking about this team and thinking about the fact that they're actually in a playoff chase, you know, is pretty remarkable when you consider the expectations for this team this year really were not there, were really non-existent. And a lot of people, I think, were were packing in for a long season and were like, okay, you know, they'll be lucky to be in the playoff chase in September. And lo and behold, they've been in the playoff chase the whole month. So I think that it's, it's important that, to take positives out of this season. And I know that that's going to be very challenging. And there are going to be a lot of people that are going to tell you that this season is a disappointment, that they, you know, bombed and choked and failed or whatever people are going to say whatever people are going to write, you know, but I think you have to think about where this team started and, you know, didn't really have the the greatest off season that a lot of people criticized them for, you know, not spending as much money as maybe they typically do. And people being like, Oh, you know, this small market thing isn't going to work. And, you know, it kind of did, you know, the Red Sox did get really good production out of a bunch of small free agents that they signed Hunter Renfro you know, just top 30 home runs the other day. Kike Hernandez has been a pretty good, pretty good performer. You know, you've gotten good seasons out of Nathan Evaldi. Um, you've gotten good seasons out of, or good second half out of Bobby Dahlbeck. You know, you brought in Kyle Schwarber and he played really well. So I think there are some positives that you can take out of this season, that the season doesn't need to be a disappointment, you know, just based on the way that they finished the season. Um, I know that, there are going to be a lot of things said and a lot of things written that the Red Sox, you know, failed and bombed and, you know, whatever. But, you know, I think when you think about this team and kind of like the long, the long term, they've set themselves up pretty well with this season that they, you know, competed in a season where they weren't expected to. And I think that you saw a lot of positives and, you know, you can build off of this season, even if you don't make the playoffs. And I also have to say, of the people that are going to blame this team for, you know, choking down the stretch, do you really expect this team to beat Tampa Bay in the first round? Because, that, I mean, that's what it's going to end up being if the Red Sox, you know, get that second wild card spot and win that wild card game. Chances are they're probably going to lose to Tampa Bay and probably going to lose pretty badly. 
Um, and so I just think, you know, does it really make that much of a difference if they make the playoffs or not? And I know people are going to say, oh, well, you know, they were in position to make it and they, you know, choked and failed and, you know, whatever people are going to say. But, you know, I think that it's pretty impressive that this team has been as good as they've been for the majority of the season and, you know, approaching 90 wins and hopefully they can get there and hopefully get their way into a, into a, a playoff against the Yankees or Seattle or Toronto or whoever it may be. Um, so that's just really what I have to say about the, the Red Sox season that it doesn't need to be classified as a disappointment. It's obviously going to be written as a disappointment and people are going to classify it that way. You know, if the Red Sox, certainly if they don't make the playoffs, but I think you, again, have to remember what the expectations were at the beginning of the season. I'm a big per- big believer in the fact that, you know, expectations really shouldn't change, you know, even the fact that the Red Sox overachieved at various points this season and made it look like, okay, this team is a lot better than they are. And, you know, I think looking at this team, I thought maybe 86 wins out of this team and, you know, they have exceeded that and they've been in the playoff chase pretty much all season. So, you know, I think that that's pretty much all you can ask for, for this team. Um, Not to say that, okay, I'm satisfied. I still would like to see them, you know, make the playoffs or make a a tiebreaker game or what have you. But, you know, I think it's, it's, it's okay to think of this season as, as somewhat of a success. You know, when I think most people thought that they would be lucky to win 80 games. So, you know, that's all I'm going to say there. Um, so now we can take a look at the, the standings real quick uh, with the Red Sox uh, having three games against Washington, and they are currently uh, tied in the standings with Seattle at the moment. So the Yankees have that first uh, wild card spot. Um, and. So the Yankees have that first wild card spot. They're two games up on the Mariners and the Red Sox, who are both tied. Um, so it kind of looks like the Yankees are going to be the team that will host that wild card game um, on Tuesday, I believe. So the Yankees, I think, really just have to win one game and they will lock up that first wild card spot. So obviously, the Red Sox and the Mariners, uh, even at that second wild card spot, both teams are 89 and 70. Uh, Seattle will play a weekend series against the Angels, and the Red Sox obviously will play Washington, and then Toronto will play Tampa Bay this weekend. Toronto is one game back of the Red Sox and the Mariners. Oakland has been eliminated, so the Red Sox, Blue Jays, and Mariners really battling it out for that uh, final playoff spot. So I believe that the Red Sox have... So I think the Red Sox have the tiebreaker over some teams based on their, um, you know, win-loss record, but I don't think that that's how it works. Like, I think if they end up tied, they would have to play, uh, like, a tiebreaker game. So, for example, if the season ended today and the Red Sox and the Mariners played a... or in, uh, So here's where it works, I believe. So if the Red Sox and Seattle end up tied... The Red Sox and Blue Jays end up tied. The Red Sox would get the right to host the game based on their win, based on their record against that team. So let's say, for example, the season ends today. Uh, the Yankees win the first wild card spot. The Red Sox and the Mariners end up tied. The Red Sox would then play the Mariners at Fenway. 
um, for the right to play the Yankees. Um, and then obviously, if the Red Sox, Blue Jays, and Mariners end up tied, then it ends up being a three-way tiebreaker, which is going to be absolutely insane. You know, that's going to be the, the, the chaos part. You know, that's going to be pretty crazy. So, you know, hoping the Red Sox can lock up that second wild card without having to play an extra game. I believe that Nathan Evaldi will likely pitch, you know, the wild card game if the Red Sox do get there. If they don't and they have to play an extra game, you know, that's going to get very, very interesting. Um, but that's where the Red Sox are at the moment in the American League. Uh, Tampa Bay is the top seed. They will be the number one seed going into the playoffs. And then you have Houston and Chicago. So Houston and Chicago will play in the division series. This will be a very fun series. Both teams, you know, very good offensively. Both teams can mash, but I think Chicago's got the advantage in the pitching. But, you know, Houston has all that postseason experience and, you know, they're always a dangerous team in the playoffs. But I think the White Sox are just deeper pitching-wise in terms of their rotation and their bullpen. Um, and I think that they would beat the Astros, but I do think that it's going to be a close series because I think Houston's a team that's not going to go away easily, but I do like the White Sox. Um, and then to be perfectly honest, I like Tampa Bay against the wild card teams, whether it's the Red Sox, Blue Jays, Mariners, or Yankees. Um, I do think that the Yankees and Blue Jays and the Red Sox could present some problems for Tampa Bay just based on their offense. Um, but I think at the end of the day, Tampa Bay is just going to be better set up to beat you know, any of those teams. But I do think the Yankees and the Blue Jays especially, you know, have two lineups that I think can get hot at a moment's notice. You know, I don't have a lot of confidence in the Red Sox offense right now just based on the way that they've played the last couple games. Um, so that's what we're looking at for the division. Um, in the National League, it looks like the Giants will take that number one seed and will um, take the National League West. So if that's the case, the Giants will be the number one seed, and then the Dodgers and the Cardinals will play in the wild card game, um, it seems like. But it's also worth noting that the... Uh... Oh, I thought... Yeah, I'm not sure why it's actually... <laughs> Never mind. No, the Dodgers and Cardinals will play in the wild card game. I think that that's pretty much locked up. I think the Cardinals have clinched a playoff spot. Um, as have the Dodgers. I think the Giants have not won the division yet, but I think that they can win the division with a win this weekend. So likely you'll see the Dodgers and the Cardinals play in the wild card game. San Francisco get the top seed, and then Milwaukee and Atlanta will play against each other. Um, in the division series, I like what Milwaukee has done all season, but Atlanta is playing really, really good baseball in the last couple of months. So I kind of like them to win a first-round series against the Brewers. Uh, just because they've won six straight, they've won nine, to, nine out of ten. They've been really hot recently. So I think that's going to be a good series, but I like Atlanta. Um, and then as far as the wild card game, I like the Dodgers, but the Cardinals obviously have just won 17 straight games. So, you know, it's going to be a tough challenge for the Dodgers because this is a one-game playoff. And oftentimes, if you're playing a one-game playoff, you know, you're your money is on the hotter team. Not that the Dodgers haven't been hot. They've won eight, eight out of 10 and they've won four straight at the moment. But, you know, it's just going to be interesting. Have the Dodgers who, you know, any other year would be the best team in baseball. 
um, but having to play in that wild card game. And I know that, yeah, they'll, yeah, they're at home, but you never know what can happen in that game. But I do expect them to win um, and then set up a division series with the Giants. That's going to be a lot of fun. Might be uh, the best division series matchup in Major League history. Uh, you know, since they went to the division series, I think that that could be uh, possibly the best division series ever played when you look at the two teams that have won 100 plus games and could end up playing each other in that first round. So that's what we're looking at for the playoffs, I believe, at the moment. Obviously, things can change a lot in flux for the American League wild card. Um, the National League, I think, is pretty decided just. Technically, the Dodgers still could win the division, but they would need to win all three games this weekend, and they would need San Francisco to lose all three, I'm pretty sure. So it looks like the Giants will win the division, and then the Dodgers will host the Cardinals in the National League wildcard game that will be on Wednesday night of next week. So as we take a look a little bit around Major League Baseball, take a look little gander. Um, the Cardinals announcing that uh, Adam Wainwright will pitch in the wild card game for the Cardinals, depending on who they play, whether it's the Dodgers um, or the Giants. The Astros clinched the NL or the AL West for the fourth time in five years with the win over the Rays yesterday. And then the Braves just clinched the NL East yesterday. And the Yankees obviously uh, padding their lead in the wild card with the win over Toronto last night. So it looks like the Red Sox are, or excuse me, the Yankees are pretty much, you know, firm into the playoffs, you know, unless they um, lose all three games this weekend. Um, so I think that the Yankees are, are safely in, and then we'll see what the Red Sox can do. Um, you know, hopefully they can uh, get in, so they will host, or they will play in D.C. against the Nationals starting tonight at 7.05. Um, so I think that that's probably it for baseball. We'll move on and talk about the Bruins. And yes, it is that time again. The Bruins are playing hockey games. Uh, obviously, they don't count the standings yet, but uh, so it's obviously not, not quite the same, but it is pretty exciting. Good to watch them last night in their first home game um, at the Garden with fans. Uh, really for the first time since uh, point last season, I was going to say the first time since the Cup final, but I know that I know that that wasn't right. Um, but just was good to see the Bruins playing in front of a full crowd and playing with energy, and you know, really played a great game last night. The Bruins uh, put in most of their regulars in that game, and I have to say, the Bruins, especially the grouping of DeBrusque, Halla, and Felino played really, really well. Uh, Bruins scored a couple of power play goals. That was a beautiful Craig Smith goal. Um, Bruins on the power play, great entry by Eric Halla, and then Felino going between the legs of the defenseman and finding Craig Smith. So the Bruins uh, played outstanding in this game. I really thought that there were little to no issues know with this game and obviously it's a preseason game you know the Flyers were not skating out their entire full roster Uh, they actually had a number of young players that were playing in this game but I just thought that the Bruins looked really engaged and looked like they were ready to go and I think that uh, a lot of these a lot of players that were on the team last year I think realized that they really closed closed the playoffs very poorly last year and I think a lot of these guys are coming in with something to prove 
whether they have new contracts or whether they need a reset like Jake DeBrusque. And they came in focused and ready to play. And uh, Jeremy Swayman was really good. Charlie McAvoy was really strong. You know, the Bruins' top line was really solid. And then you had the new guys, Felino and Halla, and, you know, two guys that you brought in that you know are going to be legit professionals, that they're going to come in, do the job that they're asked to do, and you're going to, you're no, you know what you're going to expect from them. And I think that is something that the Bruins missed at times last season with some of the young players that they had in the third and fourth line that, or whoever it was, whether it was young players or not, that I think you didn't have that consistency. And I think the Bruins are going to have that consistency, you know, with Felina, with Halla, and with Thomas Nosek, who didn't play last night, but looked pretty good in the game against the Rangers on Monday night or Tuesday night, excuse me. Um, so I think the Bruins are in a good spot bringing in some of the, the veterans. Um, but it just it just was pretty amazing to see how solid they looked as a group. And I think that that you know, speaks to the leadership in that room that you have a bunch of guys who have played together for many years and understand you know, what is expected and they go out and do the job. And I think that they were you know, just really, really good and really professional about it. And I think... Yes, it's the preseason, but having a game like that in which, you know, you play most of your starters and they just go out and play a professional game, you know, that gives you hope that the Bruins, you know, are really going to be able to hit the ground running once the regular season starts, that, you know, there's not going to be a lot of new stuff to do and get used to, that the team is just going to be ready and going to be a well-oiled machine right out of the gate. Um, So I think that that's, you know, something to feel good about. Um, I just will say that in the preseason, it's been a pleasure to watch Jake DeBrusque and see him be very engaged and, you know, playing with that level of consistency that we've all expected from him. Um, And I think that he seriously could be in line for a very improved season, a season in maybe which he can score 20 or 25 goals um, and play on a line with Felino and Halla, two guys that I think are just true professionals, have played on a bunch of different teams They've been around the league for a very long time and, you know, understand what's expected. And I think that that will rub off on Jake in a very positive way. So um, it's been good to see him be very engaged, has scored two goals in the preseason, scored the shootout winner against the Capitals last weekend. Um, So hopefully he continues to keep that rolling. Uh, Bruins will host the Rangers tomorrow night at the Garden at 7 o'clock. Bruins will play. Um, on Nesson for the first time this season. So you get to hear uh, Jack and Brick from the garden. So that will be uh, a good good uh, sense of normal for, for Bruins fans to catch some uh, games on Nesson. So I think just kind of expanding off of the preseason thoughts and, you know, how they've done, how they've looked, you know, they looked really good last night. Um, I think, you know, and obviously we'll talk about this once the season gets closer and we do kind of a full NHL preview. But I do think it is important to talk about expectations for this group. And I know that a lot of people want to expect them to be, you know, a Stanley Cup contender. And um, that should be the goal, I think, based on some of the guys that you have on this roster and kind of the uncertainty of the future of a few of these guys, namely Patrice Bergeron, who, you know, is unsigned past this season. And 
maybe leads you to believe that the Bruins really are putting together one last hurrah to try to go win a cup. Um, but I just think there's still a lot of questions with this team. And I think that, you know, Charlie Coyle really is kind of the big one that, you know, you're asking him to essentially, you know, put put him in the spot that David Krejci was in and maybe not asking him to produce the same way that David does, although some people might say that actually they are expecting him to do that. Um, I think there's just, it's a lot on him. And I think that it's a lot of pressure for someone like Coyle, who I think has always been comfortable as kind of a, you know, third line guy, a guy that's not asked to do too much. And I just think it might end up being a little too much for him this season. But I think, you know, I have confidence in him. I think I have confidence in him playing with Taylor Hall and and Craig Smith, two guys that are really, really solid NHL forwards. And, you know, Coyle is too, but I just think, you know, a lot is going to fall on him, you know, and I think that the Bruins are only going to go as far as he can take them. And if we see anything close to what he had last season, the Bruins probably aren't going very far. And I do understand that, yes, the Bruins have greatly improved their bottom six. And you saw it last night. You've seen it the last two nights. Um, But I think that, you think of kind of the top-end talent with Bar- with uh, Marshawn, Bergeron, Pasternak, Hall. It's on those kind of second-end middle guys like Coyle, like Smith, like DeBrusque, like Hall. It's on those guys to produce. And I think, you know, you probably won't have much of a problem producing in the, in the regular season. I still fully expect the Bruins to be one of the top teams in the East. But once you get in the playoffs, that's when you really need guys to step up and it's just I'll be honest I'm not totally convinced that Charlie Coyle can be that guy who can step up especially in the playoffs um, and then I think obviously there's questions about Tuka Rask and you know whether he'll return what type of shape he'll be in and you know what's next for him you know and I think that it's the Bruins have a good tandem in Swayman and Olmark but I think you know it's it's fair to be a little worried just to, to see how well those two play together this season and then what it means for Rask. Um, defensively, you know, I think certainly there are still some questions about, oh, you know, where's that toughness going to come from? And I know that I joke about it. I know that a lot of us do, but I think it, it, it is kind of something that I think needs to be addressed, I think, come closer to playoff time. And not to say that, oh, they need to go out and sign a, a goon that's, that's going to fight constantly – but I think that, you know, looking at a guy like Derek, Derek Forbert, who, who you have signed to kind of be a bigger body player, you know, how are the Bruins thinking about going up against a team like Tampa Bay in the playoffs who are going to play a big, fast, heavy game? And how do you respond to that? So um, it will be interesting to see, you know, how the Bruins look out of the gate. But I think it's important to note that, OK, they played a lot of their starters last night. And they looked really strong. So I think that it should give you a positive feeling that they're going to go into the season with their, you know, hit the ground running, so to speak. Um, Just looking at some notes from around the NHL, the uh, Red Wings announcing that Jacob Verona will miss at least four months for the Red Wings. That was really too bad. I really like the trade that they made at the deadline, getting Verona from the Capitals. So he will be unavailable for the first first couple of months. Um, the NHL has set the trade deadline for March 
21st, and I believe that the end of the, or they've set the critical dates for this season. Uh, so the last possible date of the Stanley Cup final is on June 30th, last day of the regular season, April 29th, playoff start May 2nd, um, and then the NHL draft will be July 7th and July 8th, and then the free agent signing period will begin on July 13th. So the Bruins obviously playing against the Rangers at home on Saturday. Then the Bruins will close out their preseason with games against Philadelphia and New York, or Philadelphia and Washington, excuse me. Um, The Bruins will travel to Philadelphia next Monday, and then they will play the Rangers on Wednesday, and the Bruins will have a pretty long time The Bruins will have about 10 days before their season opener um, against the Dallas Stars. So I think it makes sense for us to move on. We'll talk a little bit about the Celtics. And yes, the Celtics are going to be playing uh, games next week. The Celtics will open up their preseason against the Magic on Monday on Monday night. So that will be very interesting. First time you can see uh, some of the new Celtics in action. It is worth noting I did write. Um, a Celtics article this past week taking a look at some of the important new players to get to know. So um, we'll talk about them a little bit right now. So the Celtics obviously bringing back Al Horford, and I think it's um, a really important trade, and I think a a low-key trade in the NBA that I think is going to end up having a lot of impact. And I think, you know, we've talked about it, I think, plenty when we've talked about the Celtics over the last couple months, you know, ever since they traded Kemba Walker. And I think, you know, you bring in Horford, who, yes, is 35, is an older guy, but, you know, still brings some solid production with him. You know, did not play a lot for Oklahoma City last year, you know, which might lead you to believe that maybe he's, you know, more fresh and more available to, um, you know, give you more minutes and possibly start, you know, at the beginning of the season. Um but I think, you know, gives you the ability to be very versatile defensively, which is kind of the theme with some of the guys that they've signed or, or acquired in the offseason. Uh, but he can also still stretch the floor. You know, he's still a big that can, you know, step out and shoot threes, step out and shoot the long twos, and, you know, is a solid rebounder. I know that he's not, you know, the he's not, he's not Andre Drummond, who's going to, you know, average close to 13 rebounds, maybe like he did in his prime, but... He's going to be a big that I think is going to be a good, solid presence for them. And I also think off the court for just kind of the team culture, it's going to be huge that you have a guy like Horford who's around, who I think, you know, really loves this city, loves the organization, and really understands the culture that the Celtics are trying to build. And, you know, as someone who's friendly with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you know, guys that he helped bring along, you know, when they were rookies. So I think it's going to be a big addition. I'm very curious to see what the Celtics do with Horford, you know, whether they bring him off the bench, whether he starts most nights, you know, do they start him along with Robert Williams or do they bring him off the bench? You know, I'd be very curious to see what they do in that respect. But the great thing is you have a lot of options. And I think that that's the case with, you know, not only Horford, but some of the guys that you've acquired. You know, Dennis Schroeder, Josh Richardson, you know, guys that I think can be equally as effective coming off the bench or starting. 
you know, I think that there are pros and cons for certain guys in the lineup. And I think the the Celtics will definitely use the preseason to kind of tool around with different lineups and, you know, see what works best. You know, do they roll out a lineup with Marcus Smart and Dennis Schroeder? Do they roll out Marcus Smart and Josh Richardson? You know, do they rule, roll out... Do they roll out Robert Williams with Al Horford? And do they bring someone off the bench? You know, I think it'll be very interesting to see, you know, what ends up happening. So mentioning Marcus Smart, you know, I think he's one player that I think his role is been, I think it's fairly obvious that his role has been defined, I think, uh, throughout media day and just some of the things that, that have been said in the last couple of days that the Celtics are wanting to move him into the point guard role. And so I think that tells you that Dennis Schroeder probably is going to come off the bench. Um, I think just thinking about Schroeder's game and Marcus Smart's game, that I think the Celtics are going to want the two of them to kind of play a similar style, you know, in terms of running the offense. And so I think it probably is going to make the most sense for the Celtics to roll Schroeder off the bench um, and kind of be a piece for that second unit and kind of be someone that can bring energy in off the bench. Um, so I think most likely what you're going to see um, that the Celtics roll with for most of maybe the preseason and maybe into the regular season is a lineup of Marcus Smart, Josh Richardson, uh, the two Jays, and then Al Horford or Robert Williams. Um, and I think that there you know, definitely pros and cons to bringing Al Horford in off the bench that I think he could be a key piece along with Schroeder, that two guys that can come in off the bench with energy. Um, But, you know, Horford also can be a difficult matchup uh, for certain bigs in the starting lineup, and the same thing goes for Robert Williams. So I'll be very curious to see what the Celtics do with their lineups in the preseason. You know, definitely pay attention to the, like, bench groups that they bring in off the bench who you know, are playing a lot of minutes together, what the starting lineup obviously looks like, who's the first person off the bench, who's the first big off the bench, you know, who do they go to if there's a big in foul trouble, you know, what do they do in certain game situations. So I think that that's going to be very curious to kind of pay attention to just the different scenarios that, you know, come up in games. And I think, yeah, you'll probably see a lot of the guys that were signed to training camp deals and kind of the players that probably are not going to play too many minutes this season, but probably, you know, guys that played in the summer league are going to get a good amount of opportunities um, in the preseason. Someone like Romeo Langford and Aaron Yeesmith um, and Peyton Pritchard, obviously. Um, what does Sam Hauser look like? You know, do the Celtics think that he can be their kind of not, not secret weapon, I don't want to say that word, but like, you know, can he be someone that they stash in in Maine and can, you know, come in and do the job if someone is injured? You know, can he be someone that can give them some instant offense? You know, what what is the plan for a player like Wancho Hernan Gomez? You know, this player the Celtics traded for from Memphis. You know, what's the plan for him? How do the Celtics plan to use him? I think that you know, it's going to be something that the preseason games are going to be worth paying attention to, you know, to see how the lineups work, you know, and see how Ime Odoka works with the team. You know, what does that brand new coaching staff look like? You know, it's a 
coaching staff that I think every single person is new, except for maybe one. I think Joe Mazzula is the only assistant coach that is returning. And so you're going to have a brand new coaching staff. You know, how do the Celtics players respond to that? You know, how does Ime Udoka motivate this team? You know, what what sort of things do you see from the sideline? I think that it's going to be a very interesting preseason. It'll be very worth watching a number of different players, you know, and the coaches. You know, it'll be very interesting to see what the Celtics look like with a totally different coaching staff. Um, so I think... It's an exciting time to be a Celtics fan. You know, I really think that they are going to surprise a lot of people. And um, one last little bit, it'll be interesting to see what the Celtics' plan is for Jabari Parker. Um, I know that there's been a lot about him that he's looked really good over the summer and, you know, has come in and motivated. His contract is not guaranteed. So there is a possibility the Celtics could bring in someone else um, that they've signed to, you know, a... Uh, exhibit 10 contract which I think is like similar to like a training camp deal Um, so do they you know bring in someone and cut Jabari Parker I'm very curious to see what their plan is for that Um, I would like to keep Jabari because I thought that he played fairly well in the games that he played in with the Celtics but you know he does kind of have his limitations especially defensively and he doesn't really stretch the floor so um it could be interesting to see if the Celtics go a different route. Um, but I think that they will, you know, obviously cut the roster down to 15 and then you are allowed to have two two-way contracts. I don't know if the Celtics are going to add another two-way contract or if they're just going to keep Sam Hauser as that one. Um, so I'd be curious to see what the Celtics do uh, with their roster and what the 15-man roster looks like uh, as we approach the regular season. Uh, just some notes from around the NBA. Zion Williamson had uh, foot surgery uh, over the summer, so be curious to see what he looks like as the season gets closer. Um, and then, you know, there's a lot of uh, stuff about Ben Simmons, which is uh, kind of unfortunate. You know, I think that he has uh, dug himself into he's dug himself into a hole. I think based on you know, some of his actions, um, especially, you know, refusing to meet with his Sixers teammates. And I understand that he wants to be traded and doesn't want to play there anymore. I can understand that, but, you know, at least be receptive to people. And I just think he's not doing himself any favors. And I also think that, you know, if you're a team wanting to trade for him and you're seeing this going on, is this really a player that you want to trade with that is just going to shut out his teammates? when things go poorly. And I just think it's, I don't know, it's it's a little self-centered. And like, I totally agree with Joel Embiid, who, you know, definitely feels disrespected by a teammate who I think simply just doesn't want to play with him anymore. But it's just like, I don't know, it just, it, it doesn't look good for Ben Simmons. It just looks like it's, he's a player that, you know, just is, being, I don't know, and I don't want to say being difficult, but it's just like he's putting himself in a very poor, very bad position where is it is it really worth it for a team to trade for him? And, you know, it's going to create an issue for the Sixers, you know, if he doesn't get traded and, you know, could possibly sit out the entire season. So um, I don't really see a, 
uh, a resolution to this really anytime soon because they think that at a certain point there are teams like the, the the Wolves and the Warriors, you know, whoever might be interested in him, that they have to get ready and they have to be ready for the season and, you know, can't have something like this hanging over their heads. But I think if you're Philadelphia, they're going to trade him at some point. And I think that it might end up being a James Harden situation that you trade him at some point in the early part of the season. Um, but again, it's just like, I don't know if the value that you're going to get for him now is going to be the value, the best value that you can get. Uh, so that will be definitely something curious to, to pay attention to um, as we get closer and closer to the regular season. Uh, so now we'll move on. We'll talk a little bit about the Revolution, who have a 14-point lead on the uh, leading team in the Western Conference, the Seattle Sounders. So uh, the Revolution reaching 20 wins with a win over Montreal on Wednesday, setting a team record for uh, wins in a season. The Revolution are currently just seven points behind the MLS record for points in a season, which was 72, set by the LA Galaxy a number of years ago. So the Revolution still have uh, five games to go, although they will not play for uh, two weeks as they're uh, is an international break coming up for uh, World Cup qualifying. So the Revolution will not play again until Saturday, October 16th, against the Chicago Fire at home. Uh, so the Revolution winning in Montreal uh, over during the week and then winning at home against Orlando at home, or winning at home against Orlando um, last weekend. So the Revolution continuing to just uh, absolutely just crush it offensively and having an offense that I think really can, can strike at any time. You have a number of different players that are getting used to playing with each other and developing some great chemistry. You know, you've seen Gustavo Vo and Adam Buxa connect for a number of goals, you know, in the last, in the last few weeks. And I think it's just really important to see that kind of chemistry going on, you know, as the revolution get ready for the playoffs and, you know, hopefully can have a number one seed and have the the luxury of playing at home throughout the playoffs. But I think that, you know, when you get into the playoff games and get into games that I think are going to be a lot more challenging, it's important to identify that chemistry and, you know, have your player have your players playing at their absolute best. You know, Carlos Heel's been outstanding, Gustavo Bowen Buxa, you know, are tied for the team lead with thirteen goals. You know, and you have guys like Duan Jones and Tejon Buchanan that I think are very capable guys that can pick up the slack. And you know, obviously, the Revolution have a rock and Matt Turner, um, who's excellent, invited to the uh, U.S. Men's um, qualifying camp in October, so he'll likely see uh, some playing time in the in the uh, U.S. Men's qualifiers. So we'll obviously talk about that as it gets closer, um, as they will play some games next week. Um, so the Revolution will host Chicago Fire for their next game. Revolution, uh, 14 points up on Seattle. So I think that they are maybe three point. I think three points away from uh, locking up the supporter shield, which would give them the uh, number one overall seed in the MLS playoffs. So the Revolution would be able to uh, get home field advantage up, you know, to the MLS Cup that they actually would technically be able to host. Uh, so the Revolution with five games left, Chicago next on the docket. We will take a look at the WNBA. The playoffs 
are uh, obviously uh, deep or you know in, in full swing as uh, both semifinal series are going to a deciding game three Phoenix beating Las Vegas last night and then Connecticut evening their series with Chicago so there will be deciding game threes for both of those series um, on Sunday afternoon so very interested to see how that shakes out uh, those games on Sunday in the afternoon um, so we'll take a look at some college football take a look at the uh, at the rankings uh, for this week So Alabama and Georgia, you know, still remain the one and two. Um, Oregon at three, Penn State four, Iowa at five, and then Oklahoma, Cincinnati, Arkansas, Notre Dame, and Florida. Um, Arkansas with a win over Texas A&M this past weekend. Um, so they will take on Georgia on Saturday. So that will be a very interesting top 10 battle. There actually is another top 10 battle, uh, Cincinnati against Notre Dame. Both of those games are tomorrow afternoon believe that Georgia and Arkansas are at noon and then Cincinnati Notre Dame is at 2:30. Um, Alabama will play Ole Miss later in the afternoon so that will be another top 25 matchup um, and then Clemson against BC that will be a really interesting game in Death Valley Clemson is a uh, you know fairly vulnerable and then you got a BC team that uh, came off an overtime win against uh, Missouri last weekend so that will be an interesting game to watch. Auburn against LSU will also be worth watching. So uh, plenty of good games this weekend um, all over college football. Um, so I think that, you know, that probably that, pro- that probably does it for me this week. Um, plenty of sports to go around this weekend. There's a, there is no shortage of, uh, of sports this weekend. You got... Uh, WNBA playoffs, you got college football, you got the NFL, you got preseason for the NHL, preseason coming up for uh, the NBA, and you have the baseball playoffs, you know, the the last weekend of the season that will be wild for uh, some teams in the American League. Red Sox obviously battling for their lives right now. Um, So with that being said, everyone enjoy your weekend, enjoy Tom Brady's return, Patriots, Bucks. That's going to be a really fun, really interesting, really emotional night. So, um, good luck to everyone. You know, I know that the emotions will hit a lot of people when they see Brady, you know, taking the field against his old team. Um, but it will be, it's going to be fun. You know, I think that it's, uh, it's, it's going to be fun. And hey, it's okay to uh, appreciate the success that he had. It's okay to appreciate the success success both he and Bill had. Doesn't really need to be one or the other, but you know, I'll, that's all I'm gonna say on that. Um, but yeah, everyone enjoy the weekend of sports. Uh, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, listen on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can read uh, my recent article that I wrote yesterday. Garrett Hayden Sports Media. Check all that out. Um, so that being said, everyone, uh, we will. Talk to you next week.